Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Jesus Above Other Gods, is from 24 November 2019. The scripture is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I want you to take a moment this morning and think about the things that we feel like control our lives. Here are just a few examples. Time. Boy, don't we feel the the pressure of time sometimes, don't we? Work. Or the, as I've heard from numerous people, the pressures of retirement that when people hear that you've retired, they fill up your calendar for you. (laughs) Our health, whether it's our physical or mental health, we see that as a controlling influence. Our money, or other people's money. Our spouses, sometimes we feel that as as benevolent control, and and sometimes, I mean, yes, dear, uh, The commitments that we make. We promise to do something and, and something that we were excited about doing that we said we would do on, on Monday by Friday might seem to be like an obligation, doesn't it? Or our age. Sometimes we feel like we're too young for something. Sometimes we feel like we're too old for something. There's lots of things that we feel like control us. And we give these things power, and we give these things prestige and and places in prioritizing our lives. But what we fail to look at sometimes, even as followers of Jesus, is the supremacy of Christ in all that we do. This morning is Christ the King Sunday. And our scripture passage might be the most clear pronunciation of the authority, supremacy, and might of Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And as we sing the songs, as we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, we get a piece of what it means to worship Jesus and recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And, and as, we, as we give thanks to God for all that he has done for us, we see another little sliver. But sometimes in our lives, we fail to grasp the whole picture of what it means for Jesus to be king. The city of Colossae, to whom the book of Colossians was written, was a town where lots of things were coming through. It was in a region of Turkey where lots of people, modern-day Turkey, that lots of people passed through. The town of Laodicea uh, was also very close nearby, and this letter was to be read at the church in Colossae and Laodicea. 
And the people, the Christians there, were coming out of their different backgrounds in this area where the predominant pop religion of the day was very eclectic. You had a lot of focus on astrology and stars and the belief that the positioning of the stars and and the arrangement of the stars had some direct control over our lives. You had the Jewish background, and they had kind of taken the astrology and laid that over the um, laid that over the Jewish festivals and celebrations and holy days, and combined the two of those to the point that when Paul and Timothy and Epaphras came along and started preaching the gospel in these places, it was tempting to see Christianity as just another part of kind of this this melting pot, this queso of religion, um, where everything just kind of melted together and you could dip out of it however you liked. But Paul wants the church to see something different. And so what he does is he proclaims Christ clearly and boldly so that there's no missing what Jesus is all about. Because if you've, read the, if you've read the Gospels, and if you've read some of Paul's other letters, well, I love Paul, but Paul would have benefited from somebody editing his work and helping him to be a bit more clear and straightforward, because sometimes Paul will use literary devices where he starts a thought, goes to another thought, and then wraps it all up. But you don't get that from Paul here. Paul is bold. Paul is straightforward. And he's as straightforward as Jesus is after the resurrection. Because before the resurrection, Jesus kind of cloaks himself a little bit. He doesn't want people trying to force him into a kingly box that he doesn't want to be in. He doesn't want people making him a military ruler. He doesn't want people trying to put him on a throne by force. He doesn't want people trying to proclaim him the king in the earthly sense because that's too small for Jesus. Jesus intends to be the cosmic king, the divine ruler of all creation. Yet, he also intends to be with us always. So Paul lays it all out here, and he proclaims Christ the victorious king. And if you take nothing else away from this morning, remember that Christ is the victorious king of the universe, and it all belongs to him. All of it, us, our time, all of the little things that we hold on to as dear, it all belongs to Christ. And the sooner we offer it to Christ, the better. But Paul lays out a few things that Christ is victorious in, or that Christ is first in. Christ is first in creation. We are able to know who God is through Christ, 
because we are able to exist through Christ. We are told in this passage that through Jesus, everything was created and that Jesus holds everything together. When we look around at our world, when we look around at, at the beauty that we have here in Oregon and that we have all around us, Jesus is holding this together right now. I've been trying to walk to work more, and I cheat. People ask me, how do I make it up the hill? I cheat. I go down to the elevator, and I take the elevator up, and I come that way, because it's, it's easier than Washington Street Hill. Plus, and here's the added benefit of the arguably extra effort of going around and, and using the elevator, is you stand at that observation deck, or you go just outside the observation deck as you, as you head over towards the church. And if it's a clear day, you can look to your left and you see Willamette Falls and all of its beauty, the second largest waterfall in the United States by volume. I read the Wikipedia article for Willamette Falls. I know things. <laughs> but you can look to your right and you can see Mount St. Helens, and you can see Mount Hood, and you can see these two majestic peaks towering over our town. That they're so large that even though they are over an hour away, both of them, they seem like they are so close. That's Jesus. That's Jesus holding it all together. Through Jesus, it was created. And through Jesus, it's held together. And through Jesus, we were created. And through Jesus, we get to know the God of creation. We get to know the God of love. We get to know the God who keeps everything moving. And he makes things that we can't see. And this was a big message for the church in Colossae, but it's also a big message for us today. Because the church in Colossae believed in, you know, the stars and lives being changed or controlled by the courses of the stars in the heavens. And of course, Paul has just said, no, that's, that's not the stars, that's, that's God through Jesus but also, there are so many unseen things in the world. And in our modern world, we feel superstitious talking about spiritual forces, yet we experience it every day. If you can't talk to somebody about politics that disagrees with you, without hatred of that person, that's a spiritual force that has to fall under the lordship of Christ. God created an order to the universe. God created, through Christ, things were created so that the universe and our society and humanity and the animal kingdom were all held together. 
but not so that these little forces would take charge. And herein lies the problem. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright said this, anything to which humans offer the allegiance proper only to God is capable of assuming and exerting a sinister, borrowed power. When we put our trust in our money, that is a sinister, borrowed power. When we give the search for and the need of money the top priority in our life, it's filling a role that it will never satisfy. Rene Descartes, the French philosopher, said that this was a God-shaped hole in our lives. It is a hole that can only be satisfied when we put Jesus on his proper throne. When we lead lives that isolate us and make us individuals, rather than part of a group, part of a community, even part of a neighborhood, that is putting something on a throne that was meant to be filled by Jesus. Because we were built to be part of a people, we were built to be part of a community. And so that position belongs to Jesus. All of these desires that war within us, they're not bad. All of these desires that war within our culture, they're not necessarily bad. They're just wrongly positioned. I am supposed to desire my wife in every way that a husband is supposed to desire a wife or that a wife is supposed to desire her husband. But when that desire is unleashed on just anyone, that's how you end up with a fixation, a cultural fixation on sex. It's not bad, it's just on a throne it was never meant to sit on because it was all meant to be ordered underneath Christ. Christ is first over creation, all of creation. Christ is first over death and first over resurrection. But Paul doesn't put it in that order. Paul says that Jesus is first over resurrection. He is the beginning. He is the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in this, but how does he accomplish this? Is he accomplish this, uh, accomplishes this through his death. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And on Christ the King Sunday, what Darla read this morning doesn't make much sense until you get here. Because if Christ is the victorious conquering king of the universe, what's he doing dying on a cross between two criminals, out of many criminals, because the Romans liked crucifixion and they did it in mass with lots of people, but these were just the, the ones on either side of, of Jesus, 
as people gambled for his clothes and made fun of him, what sort of victory is that? It's the victory that shows ultimate power. Because if we look at the history of human tyrants and kings and people who have grabbed power for themselves, they are terminally afraid of defeat. But if you hold all power, you don't have to fear defeat. You don't have to fear death if you're the true Lord of the universe. If you believe as you die that you will be resurrected, you have nothing to fear. If you believe as you live that you're, you will be resurrected, you have no reason to fear death. And thus, for us as followers of Jesus, recognizing Jesus is Lord means recognizing that we don't have to go scrambling for earthly power and control of our lives. What a great relief that is. Does anybody else feel relieved by that? I feel greatly relieved by that because if Jesus has already won the victory for me, my death is not the end. My life does not have to be great in the world's eyes to amount to something for Jesus. Because Jesus died as nothing in the world's eyes, yet is the cosmic king of the universe. He is first in death. He went before us in death so that we no longer had to fear it, but he went before us in resurrection to show that it was possible. To show that that was part of God's power to bring people back from the dead. Christ is first in the church. And this one we forget about sometimes, don't we? A lot of these we forget about sometimes. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to remind myself of them. We scramble around sometimes, don't we? Trying to do things, trying to, to, to pay attention to things, and trying to, to do things that make us feel good about doing them. But all we have to do is be faithful to what Jesus told us to do. Which was to welcome others in his name. To care for the poor, the sick, the lost, the strangers in our land, in our neighborhoods. And to make disciples out of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes ahead of us in this. That's why we, we have the freedom as First Baptist Church to be small, slow, and weird. Is because Jesus goes ahead of us being small, slow, and weird. And if you don't believe me, Jesus got 12 people, not a billion, 12 people. And if you read the book of Luke, Jesus starts towards Jerusalem and it takes him over two-thirds of the book to wind up in Jerusalem. 
Jesus is very slow, very methodical, but he accomplishes what he set out to accomplish. And if we put Jesus as Lord, if we put Jesus as King, and we follow Jesus where he's leading, into the lost, hurting places, to the people who are seeking to follow the great hope of the universe, then we as a church are truly following Jesus. And Jesus is first in calling the church back to God, in calling the world back to God. Because he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. And this includes those of us who were far from God. And we're all, at one point in our lives, far from God. But by God's grace, by Jesus, we are brought close to God. And the things within us that are at war with God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are being made like Jesus. They're being put under the lordship of Christ. But we do the same thing in the world. We call the whole world back to God. Because the world isn't meant to be broken. The world isn't meant to be fractured. People aren't meant to be at war with each other. We are not meant to be enemies with other human beings. We are meant to live in love. We're meant to live in forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we won't disagree, but we're meant to live in forgiveness. We're meant to live in reconciliation, and we can't be afraid as those who are being reconciled back to God to bring other people along with us in that work of forgiveness and reconciliation. When we're at odds with people by reconciling with them, we're doing gospel work. When there are places where people are hungry, where people are hurting, where people are not whole, and we bring them back towards wholeness in the name of Jesus, that's the gospel work. That's ordering things under the lordship of Christ. We have to do it in the way of Jesus. Because we can't forget in all of this that Jesus is Lord and I am not. That we're doing this together, but we're doing it for the glory of Jesus, not for the glory of us. We're not doing it so that someone will pat us on the back. We're not doing it so that we'll be great in the eyes of the Lord, or of the world, but we're doing it so that Jesus will be exalted. We're doing it so that people will know in the face 
of the difficulties of this world that Jesus is still Lord. Because the goal is to live our lives now as God's church under the lordship of Christ. Anticipating a time that the fullness of the kingdom will come to earth. That Christ will reign over all people. And that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Christ is the king. Jesus is above other gods. But the question that we have to constantly answer for ourselves is, is Jesus on the throne of our lives? Is Jesus on the throne of our church? And is Jesus on the throne in our relationships with other people? Because if Jesus is Lord, there can be no other. Amen.